If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to talk about why pray today. Why pray? Why pray to a God you cannot see, whose audible voice you've probably never heard? Why pray to a God who allows evil and suffering in this world? Why pray to a God who allows people to get sick and hurricanes to come? Why pray to the same God that you cried out to in the middle of your storm and he didn't come through, not the way you wanted him to? You still lost your husband. You still lost your wife. You still lost your children. The same storm still hit your house and it bypassed your neighbor's. And your neighbor doesn't even go to church. Not only do you go to church, you tithe. And you're really nice. And yet the storm hit your house and they're not missing a shingle. Why pray? Does God really listen? Does it really do any good? Why pray? Here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. Paul is this bold, faith-filled apostle of Jesus Christ. He's had this Damascus Road experience where a light shone down from heaven that was so bright it blinded the Apostle Paul and the voice of Jesus called out to him audibly. Timothy, on the other hand, is a completely different personality from Paul. Paul is bold. Timothy, uh, not so much. Maybe Timothy's never heard the voice of Jesus audibly. He didn't get the whole Damascus Road experience in his call to ministry package. He's never taken a personal trip like Paul did to the third heaven. And maybe, just maybe, deep down inside, Timothy struggled with some doubts. Why did God call me to this church at Ephesus? Some of the people here don't even like me. And a lot of the leaders certainly don't want to follow me. Can I really do this? Am I really supposed to be here? What am I doing here? Maybe you have doubts as well. Perhaps you're younger. You've been going to church all of your life. But there are days when you have these questions. Is what we preach about and pray about and sing about on Sunday really true? Is mom and dad's faith really my faith? Or are we just kind of singing some songs and praying some prayers? Did I just kind of go along with it? Is it really true? Is God real? Is the Bible any better than those other books that people say are true? Maybe you're older. Look at around the congregation, that's several of you. Won't say who. If you're older than me, you're older. And maybe, maybe you're, you're feeling like it might not be too long till I'm going to die. 
And is there really a heaven? Am I really going to go there? Or is this just stuff that we talk about on Sundays? Or maybe this whole church thing is kind of new to you. You don't know much about the Bible. You never heard of Timothy and Paul before. You hardly know who Abraham and Moses are. You kind of know who Jesus is, but you don't know much about it. Why pray? Does it really make a difference? Am I just filling up a room with words, or am I really talking to God? And I would challenge you today, if maybe you're there, and you think, I don't know if God is real, I don't know if the Bible is true, to cry out to God, to be honest with Him, to take just a few moments every day for the next 30 days and say, God, if you're real, God, if your word is true, if there really is a heaven and there really is a hell and there really is an eternity, I want to know. And I believe God will help you to know that he is real and that it is true. Some of you might say, well, I don't want to waste my time. I don't know about you, but I would much rather waste my time for a few minutes a day for 30 days and be right than one day stand before God and realize I was eternally condemned because I was wrong. I didn't put my faith in Christ. There are lots of reasons to pray, but the number one reason for praying, drum roll, it's because God told us to. Well, that's a pretty disappointing answer. What an anti-climax. Doesn't really crank your starter? Well, think about it for just a moment. You get to connect with the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, everlasting God. Isn't that incredible? The same God who put the stars in space. The same God who hung the sun up there, which is 93 million miles away, and yet you can't even look at it because the light is so bright. That's the same God who wants to get in on your life. He wants to give you his plans, his direction, his purpose, and he wants to fill you with his power. How many of you think that's a pretty good deal? Amen? Well, here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul begins, verse 1. I urge, I exhort, I admonish, I plead with you then, first of all, more than anything else, to pray. Listen, there is nothing that you can do that is more important than praying. Praying is more important, young people, than going to school. Some of you think, hallelujah, the preacher says I don't need to go to school. I didn't say that. School is very important. But prayer is even more important. Going to work is important. And praying is even more important. Now, don't skip work and don't stay home from school and say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to stay home and pray all day. No, no, no. That's not what God's saying. But what he is saying is there is nothing that we can do that is more important than connecting with our God. Amen? And it's a whole lot more important than watching TV. 
There's like 5,000 channels over there, and you go home, it's like, there's nothing on. It's a lot better than Facebook, right? It's a lot better than Twitter, or Snapchat, or whatever it is that you do. Prayer is more important. Hey, Mike, I hate to tell you this, but it's a lot more important than Alabama football. <laughs> I know I'm in Kentucky, but it's a lot more important than Kentucky basketball. Now I'm meddling, right? It's more important than anything that we could do. Why is prayer so important? There are a lot of reasons, but one reason is this. Prayer is your connection point with God. You are connecting with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the very God of this universe. And God says, I want to have a personal relationship with you. How incredible is that? The all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God wants to have relationship with you. There's nothing greater. First Chronicles 16, 11 tells us to look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus taught his disciples that they should always pray and not lose heart. Never give up. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 says to pray without ceasing. In Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Jesus said, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. In the New Testament language, the idea here is to ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Don't stop praying. Don't stop knocking on the door of God and saying, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I love you. I worship you. I'm hurting Whatever it is in your heart, share it with God. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, God says, If my people, proclaimed by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Right smack dab in the middle of the call to revival is the word pray. You've got to Pray. Seek the face of God. As Christians, we talk a lot about praying, but we don't do a lot of praying. Think of all the things we spend more time doing than praying. We eat more than we pray. Some of us eat a lot more than we pray. We sleep more than we pray. We complain more than we pray. We watch TV more than we pray. We surf the internet more than we pray. We text more than we pray. We're on Facebook more than we pray. And for a lot of people, prayer is primarily done in crisis mode. Too many people are like the man on the airplane who was with a group of business colleagues, and all of a sudden the plane hit a bump and began to shake, and they started descending rapidly. And these oxygen masks came down from the ceiling. And one of the business colleagues says to Bob, Bob, you used to go to church when you're a kid. You need to pray. Pray that we don't die. And Bob says, you don't understand. I hadn't been in church in 20 years. I don't do that. Bob, have you seen the rest of us? We've never been in church at all. You need to pray. So Bob says, okay. Dear Lord, we are in trouble. We are about to die. 
I have not bothered you for the last 20 years. And if you'll just give us a safe landing, I won't bother you again for another 20 years. And that's how a lot of people pray. Crisis mode. God, I'm needing you. Life's falling apart from me. Life gets back together. I'm good. Don't need to pray. If we know we're supposed to pray, who do we pray for? The answer is simple. Verse 1 continues. I urge then. First of all, the request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for, say it with me, everyone. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, I am praying for you. Now tell them, good Lord knows you, you need it. Right? How many of you said that and you really meant it? Paul says we got to pray for everyone. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your family. Pray for your church family. Pray for your friends. Pray for your enemies. Pray for your mother-in-law. Not that she's your enemy. Paul says pray for everybody. Well, how do we pray? First, Paul continues that we make requests, prayers, and intercession, and we give thanks for everyone. The Greek word translated request here is desis and was a term that could be used to ask God something from man or God. But the emphasis here is on one's personal recognition of their need. Okay, Lord, I need you now. The New Testament word for prayers here is prosuke. It always means to request something from God and never from man. Lord, my neighbor can't help me. The preacher can't help me. The deacons can't help me. My husband can't help me. My wife can't help me. But by God, you can help me. I need you. Intercession carries the idea of entering to a king's presence and submitting a petition to him. When you're praying, you're not just entering to the presence of a king, but the king of kings and lord of lords, right? He's not just one king among any. He is the king of the universe. And you get to talk with him. Thanksgiving means just what it says, giving thanks. Thanksgiving is a theme in the Bible. Have you noticed? Colossians 4, 2 says to continue in prayer, watching with thanksgiving. Ephesians 5, 20 tells us to give thanks always for all things. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing as you did today. Then it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. It's kind of been a theme passage for me the last several weeks. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. And again, in case you didn't get it the first time, he says, I rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God never says, God never says, you follow me and you won't have trouble. God says, you follow me, and I will give you my peace and my power in the middle of your trouble. Amen? 
We need to be involved in a wide variety of prayer, and we need to pray for all people. But there are some for whom your prayers are especially important, and one of them is me, your pastor. I need your prayers. Sometimes I feel like King Jehoshaphat back in the Old Testament. We said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. thought about that the other day. Several years ago, when our 15-year-old Michaela was three, uh, we were living in Katy's, Kentucky, and uh, we were getting ready to leave on vacation, and as we got in the car, we tried to start it, it wouldn't start. Well, many thought, and I agree, the battery was probably dead, but I don't know anything about cars, okay? Nothing whatsoever. So I did know the facilities manager at our church where I was the pastor, and I called Dale, and Dale came by. He was there in five minutes. We lived about a block away from the church. And Dale comes by to look at our vehicle and brings his jumper cables. As he's walking by our van, Michaela, our three-year-old, says to Dale, who is his buddy, Dale's, Mr. Dale, my dad doesn't know what he's doing. And Dale looked at him and said, why do you say that, Michaela? Michaela said, my mama told me. (laughs) That's right. A lot of times I don't know what I'm doing, to be honest. But to be honest, you don't know what you're doing either. Only God can see into the future. Only God has all of the answers. Only God is the one who can tell you how to lead your family ultimately. Only God is the one who can tell you how to navigate through that crisis. Only God can tell you the answers when there is no other way how to make a way. We need him. Pray for your pastor and pray for yourself. Pray for your family and pray for your church. God is doing some great things in our church, and I'm so excited about it. We've had more new people coming and more people joining in this past year than we've ever had since I've been here, and I've been here for a while. We've got 26 people, I believe, signed up for Discover Northside today. God is at work in our church. But when God is at work in a church, you know who else is working in the church? The enemy. And he will seek to divide us. I always say when you get two Baptists together, you get three different opinions. Have you ever noticed that? It's all right to have different opinions. But we all got to be family. We got to work together. We got to love each other. Offer grace. Be magnanimous with one another. And I believe God will continue to bless and empower and work in this church like you've never seen before. Because our hope and faith and trust is in him. But even if he does not, he is still God. And we still worship him just because of who he is. All right? Paul gives us someone specific to pray for here as verse 1 continues and followed by verse 2. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings, and all those in authority. Now, thankfully, we don't have kings in America. Probably got some people who think they're kings and act like they're kings, but they're not. Basically, Paul is telling us to pray for our government leaders and not just the ones you agree with, but for everyone in authority. And I know we really got some bad leaders in authority, amen? 
I'm not going to mention any names, but I do know this. When I say really bad government leaders, you're not all thinking about the same people. Some of you are thinking, well, so-and-so is a pretty good leader, and your neighbor's thinking, gag me with a fork, right? Some of you may be thinking, but Kevin, I can't pray for all those politicians. Let me tell you something. They need it, amen? Do they not? Let me tell you something else. Some of the government leaders in Paul and Timothy's day were a whole lot worse than anyone we have in America today. Can you believe that? I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. Take Nero, for instance, the Roman emperor during Paul's day. If someone became an obstacle to him, he'd simply have them killed. Problem solved. In fact, his own mother was giving him problems. So you know what he did? He had her murdered. I'll get rid of you, woman. You mess with me. Tell me what to do. You're dead. And she was, literally. Nero did nothing. Well, two-thirds of the city of Rome burned down. And do you know who he blamed it on? The Christians. And he had many of them tortured and killed. He literally fed the Christians to the lions. The story in Tacitus tells us that Nero had Christians covered with the skins of beasts and attacked by dogs until they were killed. He had them nailed to crosses and put to death by fire. He used Christians as nightly illumination when the daylight had expired. Nero used Christians as human torches to light his evening garden parties. He's best remembered for his horrible, brutal torture of Christians. Yet Paul says, pray for him. I know our government leaders are bad, but thankfully they're not that bad, not yet. Not only does God command us to pray for our government leaders, he does it for our benefit, verses 1 and 2. I urge then, first of all, The request, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We are blessed in America. Did you know that? How many of you are thankful that you don't have to worry about, in the next five minutes, a police officer charging through those doors and saying, you're all arrested for worshiping God today? I'm not saying that could never happen, but I don't think it's going to happen today. Not this week, not this month, not this year. Our problem is not so much we don't have the freedom. Our problem is we don't do what we should do with the freedom. We should worship God. We should pray to our Lord. We should share the gospel because people around us need Jesus Christ. As far as I know, it's not illegal to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in America today. And we need to be about the business of doing just that. Pray that as Christians, we will continue to have freedom to share the gospel and to preach the word and to call sin, sin, and to worship Jesus Christ and him alone. Don't take it for granted. Thank God for your freedom and pray that you never lose it. We pray for our peace and our protection. And as Christians, we pray to please God. Verse 3 says, this is good. And pleases God our Savior. If there is no other reason for doing anything than simply because it pleases our God, then that in itself is reason enough. Amen? In fact, that reason supersedes every other reason. 
If God never gives you direction, if God never heals your sickness, if God never blesses your family, we should worship and praise our God just because he is God. Amen? He already did a whole lot on a cross, did he not? He suffered for you. He bled for you. He died for you. He's coming back for you. If you got no other reason to praise God and thank God than that, then you better do so, right? Because we are blessed. If you know Jesus Christ, you're more blessed than anybody else in this world who does not know Jesus. But there's another vitally important reason why we pray. We pray for the sake of the lost. Verses 3 and 4 say, this is good. And pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Verse 6 says, he, that's Jesus, gave himself as a ransom for all. What are we doing by God's grace to reach the all? We have a theme in our church. You can see it on the wall there. It says we're going to love God, love people, share Jesus, make disciples. Say that with me. Love God, love people, share Jesus, make disciples. I was thinking about that the other day. If I had one statement, one passion that I could kind of put together that would sum up this desire for reaching people that might be this. I pray that Northside Baptist Church would be such a church. That it would be difficult to live in Hardin County, Kentucky and not know that Northside cares about you. Let's be that kind of a church. A church that loves people and shares Jesus Christ with them. There are a lot of things we're doing, a lot of things you can do to get involved. You can invite your neighbors to come. You can help with writing cards to newcomers. We need some people to help us with that. You can share your testimony. You can let your light shine out there into the world so that people will see that you know and you love Jesus Christ. And when they see there's a difference in your life, you can tell them the reason is Jesus. He's changed my life. Truck or treat's coming. Tree gave the announcement. How many trunks do we want? 50, all right. How many bags, if I start to say trash, how many bags of candy? How many trash cans full of candy? 10, right. Last year we had about 800 people come through there. That's the only time that I know of we've ever had 800 people on our campus. This year we're thinking, hoping, praying we're going to have more. And we have the opportunity to touch those people. If you were here last year, you probably know a whole lot of those people probably don't go to church anywhere, Okay. And we have the opportunity to touch them with the love of Jesus Christ. Verses 5 and 6, we're almost done. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Some of you know my mama. Some of you have met her. She was in better health a couple years ago, or a year ago, I guess. And, and some of you know that Shay's had a very bad stroke, and she's in the nursing home, and 
probably never going to get out of there. But one of the things that my mom always did with her children and with her grandchildren is she wanted to make sure that they knew Jesus Christ and followed him as Savior and Lord. And she used to sing this song with us, and some of you old-timers may know it. It says, there's one door and only one, yet its sides are two. I'm on the inside. On which side are you? Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the door. No one enters into heaven without going through the door. And his name is Jesus Christ. That's the question for you today. Have you entered in through the door? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Thank God for the door of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I urge you, I plead with you to give your life to Jesus Christ even today. Would you pray with me?